Thank you very much, ladies, for ministering in music. In light of that victory that we have through Christ, should be our desire to live in sensitivity to him. And you heard me mention in praying this morning that Rick's grandson, Tim, who is 20 years of age, who has battled physical trials since his birth, being taken off of a ventilator and so on today. Again, keep Rick and his family in prayer, and you might also take time to give a call, drop a note, and so on to Rick and Lacrita. Uh, it's in God's hands as far as whether Tim would live after he's off the ventilator or not, but medically, the family was told that he probably don't have much time you know, after he comes off the ventilator. So they're in Hershey today, so keep them in prayer. As we interact with God's word, you notice in the bulletin, we list each Sunday worship through obedient listening. We don't interact with God's word to merely have more knowledge, but to live in sensitivity to Christ who is our life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the living Christ. The life we have in him, we thank you for the written Christ, Scripture. And as we interact with your word, we want to be a people who are hearing, doing, living out your word as we live in dependency upon Christ as our life. Minister to us today, for it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. The individual I am describing is independently wealthy. He chose to lay aside his wealth. He chose to lay aside his status and live among his workers. He put up with tremendous abuse from his workers during his life. He taught many. There were a few that would listen, but most did not listen. Ultimately, He died for his workers. Christ is independently wealthy. Christ laid aside his wealth, his status, all the glories of being with his father to come as a human. He put up with abuse from his creatures. What he taught was rejected repeatedly. Ultimately, he died for the sin of the world. Christ was a servant. And as we continue our discussion in Mark chapter 10, we find that in Mark 10, 13 through 16, Jesus is speaking and he says, unless one receive the kingdom of God like a little child, no, they will never enter it. And then we have the account of the rich man. And the rich man was one who wanted to be independent rather than radically dependent upon the Lord. And he chose to pursue his wealth rather than being willing to sell what he had and give to the poor and follow Christ. And as you get to the end of the section on the rich man and his walking away from Jesus, the disciples didn't understand how someone could be saved. And Jesus says, well, this salvation thing, this entering the kingdom of God is a God thing. 
And then the 12 say, well, we've left everything to follow you. What happens to us? And Jesus says, you know, if you left all to follow me, there will be a reward. But he says the first will be last and the last will be first. And it's in that context that we want to discuss verses 32 through 45 this morning. And as we discuss this passage in verses 32 through 34, we find that Christ is showing dependency upon his father through his death. And then following his prediction of his death, we find that two of the disciples say, we would like to have a little special spot in heaven. And Jesus says, well, that's not mine to give. You need to be a servant. Then in verses 46 through 51, he talks about the blind Bartimaeus, who ultimately was healed by God, who was willing to follow Christ. Let's read together, beginning with verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. And he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to die and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In verses 32 through 34, we find this is the third time Jesus talks about his passion. He talks about the fact that he is going to go to the cross. In 839 through, or 834 through 91, it was mentioned. We find it is also mentioned in 930 to 32. And then again, it's followed by a strong statement. The first time it was a call to sacrifice. The second time a call to be last. And now it's a call to be great. Jesus talks about his death, 
He talks about being rejected. He talks about going to the cross. He talks about the resurrection. And after each one, one of the 12 or several of the 12 talk about wanting something for themselves. He's talking about giving, and they want. And we find that that is true in this passage of Scripture. And as we think about verses 32 through 34 in the context, is there a time lag between verse 31 and verse 32? In verse 31, but many who are first will be last and the last first. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. It almost seems like what he says in 29 through 31 takes place and then they begin to go on their way because the 12 are astonished and there's other people who are afraid. And Jesus made some heavy-duty statements. He told the rich man, if you're going to follow me, sell what you have, give it to the poor and come and follow me. And then he said, in response to Peter's question, or a statement rather, we have left everything to follow you, that if you leave home, brothers, sisters, and so on, I will reward you, and the first will be last. So it seems like the interaction with the rich man took place. He responds to Peter's question, and they're continuing on, and the 12 are still thinking. And the other people that heard it are still wondering, you know, what's going on? The first will be last, and the last will be first. A rich man can't enter the kingdom of God. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for that to be a reality. We pose another question. Is Jesus illustrating what it means to leave home? He left heaven to leave his family. He left God and the Holy Spirit and to be last. Because he just get done saying, I tell you the truth, no one who leaves home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children and so on, for the gospel will receive a hundred times over. Is he kind of illustrating that also? I would pose another question. The text says the disciples were astonished. Why are they astonished? Jesus had just said, unless... You as a rich man are willing to go sell what you have and come and follow me. You know, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. He just said it's easier for a rich man, I'm sorry, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You know, he's blowing them away. And then he turns around and says, the first will be last and the last will be first. And the 12 are astonished. They're thunderstruck. They're blown out of their mind. They're in panic. We don't understand this. Why were those who follow afraid? The text clearly says the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. The afraid means to be timid, to be cowardly. Is it possible because They heard what Jesus said to the rich man. They heard Jesus say it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God. They heard Jesus respond to Peter's statement that anyone who leaves homes, family, and so on, for my sake, will be rewarded and the 
first will be last and the last will be first. And they're just kind of timid, a little slow to respond. Now notice, on their, while they're going on their way, the 12 are astonished. Those who followed are afraid. So what does he do? He takes the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen. That is going to happen to him. They're already astonished. They've already been blown out of their minds. Now Jesus says to them, we're going up to Jerusalem. In chapter 11, we have the triumphal entry a week before the cross of Christ. We're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed into the chief, or betrayed to the chief priest and teachers of the law. It's interesting that it's the religious leaders who are taking the action. But Jesus says, I will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn me. These religious people will condemn him, the son of man, to death. We'll hand him over to the Gentiles The Gentiles will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. They're already astonished, and he says, listen, here's what's coming. We're going to go up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed. He's going to be condemned going to be mocked, he's going to be spit on, he's going to be flogged, and he's going to die. Jesus needs to be radically dependent upon his father to go through the above items that I just mentioned. The third time in Mark that Jesus is predicting what we call the passion, where he says, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to go to the cross, there's going to be flogging and so on. But each time, the 12 don't seem to get it. Stop, think and ponder and meditate upon the reality of what Jesus will experience as he follows his Father. It is costly. In a similar manner, following Christ can be costly. Because Jesus said earlier, be willing to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Christ. What Jesus shares is going to happen to him means for those who follow laying aside self-centeredness, which stands in contrast to the request of James and John. Jesus has just talked about death, being betrayed, being mocked, being spit on, being flogged, being killed. What do James and John do? They jockey for position and prestige. Opposite ends of the totem pole. Jesus talks about obedience to the Father. 
the 12, not the 12, but James and John, are jockeying for position and authority. Notice the nature of their request and the way they word it. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You know, that's kind of a loaded thing. It's like your child coming to you and saying, hey, dad, hey, mom, will you do for me what I ask? Well, if you say yes, you know, you've kind of been had. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. But Jesus responds in a wise way. What do you want me to do for you? doesn't give an answer. He answers their question with a question. Well, what do you want me to do for you? James and John say, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. What are they concerned about? They didn't say, let Peter sit on one side and let Matthew sit on the other side. Come one side on your right and one on your left. Jesus just talked about giving himself. They're talking about what will you do for us? Verse 38, Jesus responds, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Their answer is yes, we can. And it would seem like the baptism or drinking the cup and the baptism that Jesus is talking about is tied in with verse 34 is being betrayed to the chief priest, to the teachers of the law. They're condemning him to death and then handing him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, to be spat upon, to be flogged, and to be killed. (coughs) Apparently that's what Jesus is talking about as far as his baptism. As far as the cup that he is going to drink. And the two say, yeah, We can respond to that. And Jesus again responds to them. You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to set it my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Verse 39 seems to be a reminder and a renewed call to discipleship, which entails sacrifice and suffering. Disciples of Jesus do not decide to accept or reject hardship on the basis of future rewards accrued for them. They accept suffering on the sole basis of that being the way of Jesus. The Son of God suffered unto death, not that men might not suffer, but that their sufferings might be like his. 
You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. You will suffer, I think he's saying to the two. That will happen. But he clearly says, to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places will be for those whom they have prepared. And he lets it at that. He doesn't go on beyond that. But we find that the ten heard about this, apparently heard what James and John were asking, and they became indignant. The idea of indignant is to be pained, to be grieved, to be angry, to be vexed. It's like when the prodigal son came to his father and said, you know, give it to me my portion of wealth, which entailed the father probably selling some of his land assets to give the money to his son. And the older son or his brother didn't take that too well. It would be like my going to dad and mom, mom's still living, go to mom and say, hey, mom, I want you to write out your will that I get all your assets. I'm not sure what my brothers and sister might do about it. That's basically where the two are coming from, and the ten become indignant. They respond like most of us probably would. How does Christ respond? He buys up the teaching opportunity. Jesus called them together. He called the 12 together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's a contrast taking place here. The Gentiles lord it over. Jesus talks about being a servant. The Gentiles exercise authority. Jesus talks about being a slave of all. The Gentiles are concerned about power and dominion, authority and position. And Jesus says, give up your life for many. What the Gentiles want is a focus on self, and it kills love. Christ says a focus on people that promotes love. James and John, your right hand, your left hand. The 12 are indignant. He sets the whole group down. Maybe he didn't set them down, but he calls them together and he says, uh, you know what it is like to have people who rule over to you, the Gentiles who rule over, exercise authority. But he said, that's not the way it is with you. 
The idea of exercising authority means to gain mastery over, to have power over, to subdue. We see that all the time in our world today. You don't have to turn on the news. You don't have to read the paper more than a couple minutes to realize that the House is trying to jockey power over the Senate or the Senate over the House or the House over the President or the President over the House or the Senate. There's always that jockeying for power over. We have a current situation in our world today where Russia is trying to jockey some power over Ukraine or part of Ukraine. You know, to have authority over. We have a governor's race coming up in Pennsylvania, and what will we happen, be happening? One candidate will try to jockey power over another. Depends on where you work in the job. You find that there's someone has power over another, and they're not afraid to show it at times. It doesn't happen all the time. I'm the boss around here. You do what I say. You know, Jesus says, um, it's not this way among you. He says, it's not this way among you as opposed to it shall not be this way among you. In verse 43, not so with you. Is not an admonition to behave in a certain way as a description as much as a description that the way things are actually, right, the way things actually are in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, it is not a jockeying for power. It's a matter of being a slave. That's the way things are. Jesus speaks of greatness and service rather than greatness and power, prestige and authority. The preeminent virtue of God's kingdom is not power, not even freedom, but service. The desire for power and dominance focuses attention on self and kills love, for love by nature is focused on others. The Christian fellowship, the body of Christ, does not exist for its own sake. but we for the body of Christ. See, Christ's coming, Christ being condemned to death by the chief priests and teachers of the law, being mocked by the Gentiles, being spat upon, being flogged and being killed, was to serve. Here we have the creator of the universe Serving his creatures. You think about the image of shepherds in the Old Testament, the image of shepherds in the New Testament. You find that shepherds are willing to lay down their life for the sheep. In the real world, but in the body of Christ, shepherds being willing to lay down their life for the sheep, caring for the sheep, a willingness to give their lives. You think about Christ and the church and bring that over to marriage. A husband being willing to serve his wife by being willing to die for her. See, the two disciples, John and James, are thinking position, prestige, status. The ten are thinking the same way because they respond with indignation 
And Jesus says, not so with you. If you want to be great, then be a servant. And he says in verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. The idea of ransom is a bill paid for the prisoners of war and slaves or a release from jail. We go back in our own country's history. When there was slavery in America, there are some cases you can read where someone bought a slave to free them. Christ says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. In our world today, there are some groups of people that are going to other countries and are buying women that have been sold into sexual slavery, paying whatever their owner wants to free them and bring them to the States and let them learn to live free from slavery. They pay a ransom. The idea of ransom is to cover over, to atone for. The payment has been made so that there can be a buying out. Christ didn't come to be served. As the creator of the universe, he came to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Stop and think. The one on the cross is the creator of the universe. Jesus says to the 12, you're jockeying for position, for power, for prestige. Look at me. I just got done talking to you about the fact that I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be killed. I'm serving. I'm giving my life as a ransom for many. Jesus is going one direction. The 12 are going the opposite direction. They want to be served, and he says, I'm here to serve. Leaders give their lives for those they serve so they can be free. As a shepherd, I'm to serve. As husbands, we're to serve. As fathers, we're to serve. As wives, as mothers, we're to serve. As children, we're to serve. As employees and employers, we're to serve. That's the nature of the kingdom of God. And what that looks like, respond to a little more next week. But what's the point of this passage, verses 32 through 45? Following Christ involves being a servant, which involves suffering rather than places of honor. The focus is not to be in glory, 
but the present suffering for God's glory. A teenage daughter eagerly does chores around the house without being told. This same daughter will look for small things that she can do around the house or even outside the house that might help mom and dad and take care of the place. She observes mom and dad and finds good qualities mom and dad and compliments mom and dad and expresses thanksgiving to them for what they do. This daughter will look at brother and sister and try to find good qualities in brother and sister and compliment brother and sister. This daughter was saving some money for something that she wanted but didn't really need. And she heard about a need that a neighbor had so that he could go visit his family, a family member who was dying, but he didn't have money for gas, and said, I'll give my money for that. This daughter chooses to stay home at times when she could go to be with friends in order just to be with her parents. That daughter has a servant mindset rather than wanting to be served. I ask myself the question and I ask you the question. Are you here to serve on this earth or are you here to be served? The kingdom of God is to serve. Let's think about that as we sing together.